0: If we haven't met before, my name's Tom, it's great to have you with us this morning. As Esme said, this morning's message is a standalone message, it's not part of a wider series and then the next couple of Sundays we've got a series where we're kind of getting ready for Christmas, looking at uh, the waiting and the longing that the people uh, had in those days for the Messiah to come and we're looking forward to hearing uh, next week from Alex Hawke and then the following week from Kirsten Higgins who's been uh, hosting this morning um, but today, a standalone message, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now. Every single day, you are offered a feast. Every single week, you have a feast of entertainment laid out for you. New sites, new media, every single day released for us and for our entertainment. Every week, uh, new movies released with trailers that look so, so good. Every week, artists dropping another album or another single that we didn't see coming that just demands to be listened to. Another new series on Netflix that looks so binge-worthy that you think, I have to see that. Everyone's talking about it. I have to see it. Every day, YouTubers dropping a new video that you just, I feel like I have to watch, keep up to date with. Every time you open up Instagram, there are hundreds of new images to look at. And if you get bored of looking at them, you can just drag down and refresh and hundreds more images appear there are new and exciting images and media for us to look at every single day. And every time we go to our news app, we are met with new stories, new breaking news updates, new moments of controversy that we have to hear about, a politician that said something they shouldn't have said, or a celebrity that's got in trouble for something morally And then there's our instant messaging, there's WhatsApp and Snapchat, and every moment something new for us to look at, something that demands our attention. We are in an age of distraction. We're in an age of something telling us, come and see, come and feast. There's a feast before us every single day, an age of constant entertainment. We are inundated with media that is demanding our attention. We are inundated with things that say, hey, come and give your time to this. Come and look at this. Come and see. And attention-grabbing entertainment isn't something very new in some respects, but it is very different now. Because whilst for the, uh, the early Christians, those living 2,000 years ago, uh, they would have gone to the theatre perhaps, or they would have been drawn to go to, uh, to see entertainment, we now carry a theatre around with us wherever we go. Wherever we go, we have the opportunity to be entertained in every single moment of our lives. It was a thing then, but it's now everywhere. You cannot go for 30 minutes without encountering some content that is asking for your attention. It is everywhere. It never stops. That's what's different to the ages that have come before us. We're in a completely different age now. For Christians, this poses something of a problem. Because that's what we're going to see today. We are called to fix our gaze on some other things. To fix our attention on some things that are not of this earth. We're called to actually fix our attention on Jesus. Now, I'm not going to focus on technology today. We had an excellent mini-series back in the spring on technology, but certainly this has applications for our use of technology. There are many, many people who desire to have your gaze and attention. They may not know your name, but your attention, your clicks, your gaze brings money It brings power. It brings influence. So your attention is fought for. Do you understand that? Your attention is being fought for. There's only so many hours in a day and only so much time you can give to something and therefore your attention is a very precious commodity. And as a result, media gets more and more dramatic, doesn't it? The stunts get crazier. The photos get even more provocative. The sex scenes get more and more racy. The music gets more edgy or even more highly defined. There's got to be something done to grab your attention. You have to understand this. Every spectacle wants your attention. It's a huge thing. It's not an entirely new thing, but it's way bigger than it has ever been in all of history until now. It's not just part of the economy, it is the economy now. Your attention is the economy now. The more attention something gets, the more likes, the more views, the more clicks something gets, the more money, the more influence, the more power it has. And what is all of this doing to us? We have more time now and more entertainment than at any point in history... What is it doing to us? Is it making us happier? We ask the question. I don't think it is. I think the answer is an overwhelming no. The whole premise that we are sold is that to consume entertainment, to consume media will make you happier. It's a lie. People are more isolated than ever before because they and others have been convinced that to spend an evening in front of a screen is a better use of time than to spend an evening with real people in a real environment. Because they've been convinced that if you can just, you can choose exactly what you want to watch, you can choose exactly what you want to consume, and to be with other people might mean you talk about stuff that you don't really want to talk about, or people that are in some way inconvenient, or some people that rub you up the wrong way in some ways. And so people are more and more isolated now because. They bought the lie that to sit in front of a screen is better than to spend time with people, to spend time in community. It's costly in terms of friendships, it's costly financially. Do the math sometime. Broadband, devices, streaming services, in terms of music and things that we stream uh, on, on our screens, these add up to a lot of money over the course of a year. They really do. And happiness is not higher. Body image issues are at an all-time high. And there will be, just statistically, in a room of 500 people, there will be statistically a few dozen people who are struggling with body image because they look at images all the time that are perfectly curated because there's uh, hours of makeup that have gone on or there's uh, digitally, digitally edited images that they're consuming making themselves feel awful about their own body. Or people who spend hours on social media watching the highlights of other people's lives, now feeling my life sucks in comparison. Is it making us happier? I don't think it is. And I don't think that the 24-hour news cycle helps either. I don't think it it creates a more aware and just world. That's what some might say. Well, hey, to be aware is a good thing because it can mean we can create a more just world. I don't see that at the moment. and We've had 24-hour news for a long time. I don't see it happening. I think it's fueled an outraged society where everyone is being asked to take a side on issues that have been curated with a political goal in mind, dare I even say it, by our supposedly impartial BBC. There's some things that you are being told how to think on some things and encouraged to take a side on some things. I think it's fueled a sense of fatigue when it comes to compassion for others. That others think, I just haven't got time to care about that. And so we just kind of just have this news just washing over us all day. I haven't got the, the emotional energy to deal with this any longer. You can view images. You need to understand this. You can just go on your phone, not now, but after the service. You can go on your phone and scroll through some stories, and you can read of atrocities and see images if you want to. In, in one hour, you can see more than someone 100 years ago would have seen in their lifetime. And what's this doing to us? I'm not advocating that we bury our heads in the sand and just be ignorant of what's going on in the world, but I do question whether it's really helpful to have 24-hour news, the first thing we wake up to, the last thing we look at before we go to bed. How many of us, and I can be, put my hand up here, watching the news is one of the last things I do before I go to bed. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but we fill our minds with all of this bad news. And we just kind of get fatigued from all of these spectacles that we're seeing before us. Listen, there is a feast. If you want it, there's a feast. You can fill your day with entertainment and media. What is the answer? (laughs) What is the answer to all of this? Because it seems impossible to break it, right? It seems impossible to avoid it in 2023, How should we respond? Should we go home and get a sledgehammer and take a sledgehammer to all of our devices? Should we do that? (laughs) Some of you like, yes! Listen, that may be the answer. (laughs) I'm not going to give you a definitive right or wrong here. I was really inspired once by a friend of mine who was preaching, and he said he was once asked by someone, if I become a Christian, does that mean I have to stop wearing jeans? And my friend said to him, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) It's a profound thing, isn't it? Following Jesus is everything. If you're obsessed with fashion, if that's your kind of like idol in your life, then maybe, maybe it means that. Gene's wrong? No, they're not. So maybe taking the sledgehammer to those things is right. Sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? Well, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. That's very radical, Jesus. Can you tone it down a little bit? But listen, if you go and take a sledgehammer to all your devices later on, there'll still be some heart work that needs to be addressed. There'll still be a battle ahead for your attention, your affection. There'll be a battle ahead to keep your eyes and heart and mind fixed on Jesus in This world, because there's a feast before you of things saying, Come and see. When Sarah and I were newly married, we moved in next door to a family that we actually knew quite well. And uh, within a few days of us moving in, we got a knock on the door from our next door neighbor. They had toddlers and they'd been married a few years. And um, my friend said, Tom, here's my Xbox. You can have it, it's ruining my marriage. I thought, oh, thanks a bunch. Now my marriage is going to be ruined too. (laughs) Sounds like a radical thing to do, doesn't it? Here's here's my Xbox. So I got a free Xbox. That was good, wasn't it? (laughs) But I, I got a free Xbox from a man who was willing to be radical to pursue something better, to pursue something that was going to be better. But listen, getting rid of the Xbox for him was only half of it. He still had to pursue his wife. He still had to make time for his wife. He still had to uh, sacrifice some things and say, I'm going to spend time with you because I love you. If he just stopped there, nothing would have changed. His marriage still would have crumbled and he'd have been miserable without a wife and without an Xbox. (laughs) If he just stopped there. For him, there had to be a pursuit of something better than the Xbox. I wonder if there's any... Fans of Greek mythology here in the house. Anyone? It's quite a niche question, I know. There's about three of you. Well, in Greek mythology, there were creatures called sirens. They were like, think mermaids, but with wings instead of flippers. And they were very beautiful. And they sang very alluring songs. And they sat on rocks in the sea. And in these myths... The sailors would hear the songs of these sirens and they'd be so drawn in by them that their boats would edge ever closer to the rocks until eventually they were shipwrecked. The men just could not resist the call of the sirens. And there's this guy called Odysseus who knows he's got to travel in waters where there's sirens around so he i think we've got an image of it we had his well, it's not an actual real image it's an artist's impression because it's not a real story <laughs> so he had his crew tie him to the mast and then fi- he, he had them fill their ears with wax so that they couldn't hear the songs of the sirens this is what he did so they're going through the waters and as he hears the songs of the sirens He's so drawn in by these sirens that he's, he's kind of just trying to get away from the mast. He ends up hurting himself really badly and cutting his arms and his back because he's just trying to get off the mast because he so desperately wants to go and be with these alluring sirens. That's what he wants. Thankfully, they manage to row through those waters and uh, eventually the men just unplug their ears and they untie their very grateful captain, Odysseus, who's managed to resist the call of the sirens but they looked so beautiful. His heart desired to be with the sirens. But there's another person in the story called Jason, who sets out on a similarly dangerous journey. And he instructs a man called Orpheus to play beautiful music on his harp throughout the journey. It was so beautiful that the sailors didn't even hear the songs of the sirens, because they were consumed with the beautiful music that Orpheus was playing. You see, the, the first approach of Odysseus is like what, what happens when we take radical steps to deal with something that maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted us of, but we, we don't actually seek to delight in something better. We take a radical step, it's half that's half of it, guys. But actually, there's a pursuit of something way better. And we end up miserable and kind of railing against the things that we've put in place. And thinking, why did I do that? I'm miserable now. Friends, the way of faith is the way of Jason. Who gets his friend to play beautiful music on his harp. There's a greater song, friends. There is a greater beauty. There's an ultimate reality that we can fix our eyes on. We can fill our hearts with the wonder and the majesty and the worth of Jesus. There is something greater than all of the feasts that the world has to offer us. There's something greater. There is a much more glorious song than the siren call of constant entertainment that says, come and see, you have to see this. And Colossians 3 is where we read it. Since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, you and I were created to behold beauty you and i were created to be drawn in and fixated on and captivated by beauty you were created to enjoy beauty if you flick two chapters before in colossians chapter 1 it says this in verse 15 The Son, this is talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things have been created through him and for him. All things, friends, everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. That he might be beheld, that he might be glorified, that he might be honoured, that he might be, we might be captivated by him. This is what creation exists for. This world was made to display the worth of Jesus, the only and always existing Son of God. And to be so distracted so as to lose sight of him, take our eyes and minds off of him, is to lose sight of purpose and meaning and significance in this universe. To lose sight of him, to not behold him, to not ultimately have uh, our, our minds fixed on him will lead us to have a wrong and distorted view of why we even exist in the first place. Is it any wonder that entertainment pulls people's attention away from Jesus and that it's actually making us miserable? I'm not saying all entertainment is inherently sinful and wrong. This is not where we're going with this message, okay? But is it any wonder that we're being pulled away from the reason for our existence and we're actually miserable, As a result, by and large, you were made by him and you're made for him. It's not an accident. That is what you are told day by day, that this is an accident. It's not even questioned anymore. It's just the it's just the kind of the national held view that this is all an accident. That somehow, billions of years ago, some atoms that we don't know where they came from in the first place came together and everything that we see now exists. And that is not questioned. Do you need any proof that people are blinded by the evil one? It's complete madness. We, lo- we love to watch uh, our Planet and Blue Planet and these kinds of things. We're watching the new series. We are, do you know what? I feel like I'm bursting out with praise as I watch these incredible images. Do you know they're discovering 1,000 new species every year? Every year. And some of these things are incredible. They're like, wow! Just burst with praise as you're watching it. And we're told it's all an accident, that you're an accident. It's not so, friends. You are made by him and for him. You are made to know him. Everything else that you will be drawn into, everything else that says, come and see, everything else that says, come and take, everything else that says, come and center your attention on this, will ultimately ensnare you. It will ultimately trap you, friends. It will ultimately ensnare you to lust, to greed, to anxiety. Being dragged into constant entertainment means we lose sight of the reality. It's like there's this, this is great reality, and then entertainment is just kind of like just covering it and saying, no, no, don't, don't think about those things, think about these things instead. And we end up feeling miserable. We end up feeling like, do we even have an exist- a reason for our existence? Listen, are you convinced that to know and love and behold Jesus is the good life? Are you convinced of that? Or are you pretty sure that out there somewhere else, you just, it's just out there somewhere, but you haven't found it yet? What, what, do you, what do you believe? Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, The eyes of a man are never satisfied. Always looking for the next thing. Always looking for the next thing that will satisfy. But one of the most influential theologians that ever lived, an African guy called Augustine, he said this. You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That is true. Your heart will be ever restless until it finds its rest in knowing Jesus. I sincerely believe that to be true from my own experience of life before knowing Jesus and my life since. Because there's been times when I've been prone to wonder as all of us are, and it does not satisfy. Only knowing Jesus does. We sometimes sing that song, I've searched the world and it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. It's true. Let me save you the bother. Let me save you a lot of wasted time only knowing him because it's what we're created to do, what we're created for to know him and enjoy him, only that will satisfy us. So today is an opportunity to come back to that truth. Every Sunday is an opportunity to come back to that truth because every single day we are being told, you have to see this, you have to do that, you have to uh, consume this media, and then you'll really be full of joy. We're going to come back to the reality that there's some unseen things the rock of all reality. First Peter 1 verse eight says this, "Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I have found to be true for. My, that is true for my life. I don't see him, but my life is filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. because I know him. I know the one who made me. I know the one who made me to know him. It's true. Sometimes all that gets squeezed out, doesn't it? Sometimes we know a heart drift, a drift of the affections. Affection drift from Jesus is caused by a tension drift from Jesus. So if you came in this morning feeling like, I don't feel like singing these songs. I don't feel like it today. Is it any wonder? Because the last 24, 48, 72 hours... You have been drawn to all kinds of other things. And most of the time, we don't even know it. Most of the time, we don't even think about it. Find ourselves a bit numb. Is it any wonder? Your attention has been fought for. It's been uh, vied for this week. All of us face this battle. None of us are immune to it. None of us get to sit behind the front lines. No, we're all on the front line. And there's a battle for our attention and for our affection. The strongest Christian that you look up to, who's that person? I don't know who it is for you, but the strongest Christian that you look up to has a battle for their attention and for their affection for Jesus. They're in a battle. You are in a battle. And to trade attention for Christ, for attention to entertainment, is the worst trade in the universe. It's always a trade that we end up feeling like we've lost out on. So what is the answer it's to do what Paul says in Colossians 3, is to keep setting your hearts on things above. In the original language, which would have been Greek of these verses, it would read like this. Keep on setting your hearts on the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's a a continuous thing. We have to keep going, keep doing, keep coming back to you, keep setting our hearts on. We've got to keep doing it, friends. Keep pulling back the curtains to see the true realities behind all existence. You see, we've got some curtains here, and these curtains are basically hiding people's coats, some spare music stands, and some amps that are not being used. If you peel back the curtains, you see the reality. Listen, we have these kind of curtains put in front of us. If life is all about uh, getting uh, entertainment and pleasure and as much money as you can, as much stuff as you can, having the best experience as you can in this earth, we've actually got to peel back the curtains and see what is actually behind all things. And there are four great realities that we need to feast upon that we find in this passage. Digital... Minimalism, friends, is not going to be the ultimate answer. A new app that you can get to monitor your screen usage is not going to be the ultimate answer. Smashing up your screens with a sledgehammer later on is not going to be the ultimate answer, although some of you may need to go and do that. Only beholding these four realities that we're going to see here in the last few minutes that we have will fill us and really satisfy and fulfill. What are they? There's four realities I see here. Firstly, you have died to your old life. If you're taking notes, that's number one. You've died to your old life. When you place your faith in Jesus, a great exchange happens. You hand over your sin, all the things that you've thought and said and done that are offensive to God, that are not right in his sight. You hand over that, and Jesus takes the punishment upon himself for those things that you've done wrong but you receive his righteousness. You receive his his perfect uh, decision-making and his perfect life of obedience to his Father as if you have lived that life yourself. A great exchange takes place, but also a union takes place where you get joined to Jesus. By faith, we are united to Christ in his death and resurrection. And baptism signifies that. And we're going to see some more baptisms in the weeks to come. We've seen dozens this year. Praise God. We're going to see more in the weeks to come. And what we're seeing before us is both of those pictures kind of laid out before us. There's a picture of a cleansing because Jesus took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. But there's a picture of a union as well that we recognize My old life is dead now. As I'm joined to Jesus. As he died, so I died. My old life died with him. It's in the grave. And now I've risen to new life. And I live with him now. Each baptism is a declaration of those things. You have passed from death to life because of Jesus. Because of what he's done. You're no longer of this current world. You are no longer of this current age. You don't belong to this anymore. No longer at home here, as we're going to see in a minute. The second great reality is this. God is above all, and Christ is at his right hand. The entertainment feast of this world is so designed to take your eyes off the reality of God, to the point where people don't give this fundamental reality much thought at all. I was on um, Friday renewing my uh, broadband contract, so you see we haven't chucked out our internet at home. And I, I always try and play them a little bit and get the best deal as I can. We, we, You've all got to try and do that. you can say, to say, I know other people can offer me a better deal. What can you offer me? And this guy really appreciated my honesty. And we started going through all of the things that he could offer and we agreed a deal. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he was just like, wow. He said, you're, you're quite young. <laughs> and, and I thought it was an old person's thing. And he said, you know what? I've never really considered faith before, tell me your story, this is what happened on the phone, tell me, so I got to tell him my story, and I got to invite, I found out where he lived, and we had a long conversation actually, I was thinking, this is amazing, and I found out where he lived, I was able to say to him that there's a church there, they'll look after you really well, Uh, they'll do carol services, I'm certain of that, why don't you go along to their carol services, anyway, we've got to ring him again this week, because Sarah's got to sort out our phone contract, so (laughs) we've got his line to him, so um but, but people haven't considered these things because there's so much stuff to consume. They don't even have time to think about the realities of life. We end up sharing with people who just think, wow, for the first time, I've, I've never even considered these things before. God is above all. He's present. He's to be known. And his son is at his right hand. That is a really little phrase, but it's so important to us. Such significance in the fact that Jesus is sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That is a reality to set your mind on friends. That's a reality we're invited to set our hearts and minds on, that Jesus is at the right hand of God, having made purification for sins and having sat down, the job is done. That is a reality to fix your minds on. He's made a way for you and I. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. If he stopped doing that, everything would just cease to exist. Reality number three, Christ will appear again. The greatest spectacle is still to come, friends. The greatest thing, I mean, the cross was an an incredible spectacle of the Son of God laying his life down. It was an incredible thing for the world to behold. And yet there's a greater thing to come when Jesus will return. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Some say, when's he going to get on with it? Well, the apostles' answer is that to a day, Jesus, to, for Jesus, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. He's not slow in returning. He will return. And there will be a great feast, a great wedding feast, as he is joined to his church for all eternity. And he, he wants a people who long for his appearing, who don't just know it as a theological fact, but who echo the sentiment right at the end of the Bible where the spirit and the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus who really want him to return. And the feasts of this world, friends, although they're not all sinful and bad, they will sometimes dampen our appetite for that feast. There'll be a different thing for everyone here. I'm, I'm calling us to soberly assess where we are at. This doesn't mean the same thing for every single person doesn't mean the response and the application will be the same for every person. But are we finding that our appetite for the return of Jesus is being dampened? Are our appetites for these great realities being dampened by the constant call to come and feast on other things? He will return. Keep your lamps burning, friends. Keep your lamps burning. Don't put them out. Keep your eyes and hearts and minds fixed on the day of his return. Great reality number four, and we'll finish very shortly. You will appear with him in glory. What a sentence. You will appear with him in glory. Paul says it seemingly quite nonchalantly here, doesn't he? (laughs) You will appear with him in glory. Listen, you are united to Jesus if you have become a Christian. You're united to him. This is a certain thing. You, because you are united to Jesus, will appear with him in glory. He considers himself incomplete now without you. He's coming back to take us to be with him in glory. It's like he's saying, I'm not going back unless they get to come with me, because we're united to him. None of us are worthy of that. (laughs) None of us think we're worthy of that. I hope. Not naturally, But what Paul is saying is you're no longer supposed to think of yourself naturally anymore. Now that you're a believer, you've got to think of yourself biblically. To believe what the gospel provides for you. And Paul says elsewhere that those who have died are at home with the Lord. Just drink that in. Those who have died are at home with the Lord. We are so easily swayed to see this as our home. We're so easily swayed to make this everything for us. At home with the feasts of entertainment around us, the riches, home in my work, home in my education, home in my house. Listen, in one instant, at home, with Jesus in glory, and you'll know that you've been in a foreign land all your life. One moment with him. And you'll realize, oh, I really wasn't at home. I've been in a foreign place all my life. This is not your life. It is hidden with Christ in God. You'll one day appear with him in glory and you will be like him. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. In glory. John knew a few things about Jesus' glory. He got to see him transfigured on the mountain. got to see him... in. Incredible glory. He says, You're going to be like him. That's amazing, isn't it? You're going to be like him. We'll have some sense of recognition of each other, I think, but there's going to be a radiance, a glory. C.S. Lewis says, We'll be tempted to worship each other, but we won't. That's how glorious you and I are going to be in glory. A feast that will make the feast of this life awaits us. It will make the the, the feast of this life pale into insignificance. It awaits us. We've got to hold these truths in mind. We've got to keep peeling back the curtains and seeing them for what they are. So friends, we've got to find space and find peace and thank God for these truths and make them our focus. See them for the reality that they are. We're going to stand together. We haven't got time to, to to respond in song today. Let's stand where we are. Maybe we just want to just get before God now. Each and every one of us say, God, I know that I'm pulled left, right, and centre to to eat at tables that don't ultimately satisfy. Lord, I want to just keep setting my heart and mind on you, on the things that are above. I choose to lay aside some other things now. I choose to say, no, I'm not going to give my time to that. I'm, gonna, I'm going to fix my eyes day by day on the reality The curtain pulled back reality I don't want to be earthly minded Lord, I want to be heaven minded eternally minded just say that to him put it in your own words there may come radical steps from this but friends we've got to listen to the more beautiful song we've got to tune into the greater beauty Just whilst you're just before God, just speak to him. Tell him what you need to tell him. Maybe you're like my friend or my new friend who I spoke to on the phone. Maybe you think, I've never really thought about these realities before. Maybe you're bowled over that there's hundreds of people here worshipping God and you think, I just don't get it. I've never seen it before. C.S. Lewis, who I mentioned a minute ago, he said this We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. That might be you today. There's a moment here when you can give your life to Jesus and come and know a feast like you've never tasted before. There's so just a moment here. I'm not going to say your words for you. Just speak to him because he's here. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today. We love you, Lord. And we choose to fix our eyes and minds on you. Amen. Amen.